listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. I want to encourage you uh, always to bring your Bible with you, even if your Bible is on your phone. And I know that's sometimes that takes pastors, you know, some getting used to. I like to have my uh, paper copy in front of me because it never goes on the screensaver. I mean, I can always find it and I don't ever have to run risk of uh, starting another app on this thing. It just lays right there and stays open for me. And I like that. So bring your Bible with you. I know we've got it on the screen and that's to help folks that may have come that don't have one, but I want to encourage you have a copy of God's word in front of you. If for no other reason than to double check what we're telling you is accurate. I tend to read from, I preach from the English standard version. If any of you have ever wondered, well, what, what, what version he's using? That's what I use. And, uh, but if you've got your favorite version, you just follow along. Uh, as long as it's not the new world translation, which the Jehovah's witnesses does, then we're cool with it. Go with it, read it, do what it says. But I read from the uh, English standard version just for the sake of, I like it. And that's what I'm preaching from. So The book of Acts is where we're going to be. Maybe some of you are unfamiliar with your Bible and you're going, you say the book of Acts, what does that mean? Well, the Bible's broken up into two testaments, the Old and the New. There's more Old Testament books than there are New Testament books. So if you'll flip in your Bible till you find uh, the Old Testament, New Testament break between Malachi and Matthew, then you'll want to go about five books to the right and you'll find the book of Acts. This particular book, book, we call it a book, Uh, Luke, the physician who wrote the gospel of Luke for a friend of his whose name was Theophilus, Luke wrote the account of Jesus' life for his friend Theophilus, and now Luke is recording the events that happened uh, just after the, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus, how God's work continued after Jesus ascended back up to the Father, how Jesus' work continued through the life of the apostles. And in fact, Acts just kind of abruptly ends in chapter number 28. And the idea is that the story is still being written. So if you know Jesus Christ as your savior today, then you are a part of the work known as Acts because God is still doing his work through his people of which you are a part if you know Jesus by faith. Acts chapter 2. We are going to discover something today that I believe is the uh, hub around which the entire book of Acts circles. It is the main event, if you will, that happens in this particular work right up at the front and everything else must be hung on the truths that we're going to find in the first 13 verses of Acts chapter number two. If we'll think about what has happened, Jesus, the Messiah, the one who had presented himself through his word and his works as God's sent one to his people, 
He has presented himself as Messiah and his people Israel, the people of the Jews, have rejected him. And at the hands of the Romans, they have put him to death. Now, unbeknownst to them, that was exactly a part of God's plan. This was, oh no, what is happening? God's plan is falling apart. No, it's exactly God's plan because Jesus, the the son of God, God the son, in his death put on our sin and took it upon himself paying for it through his death death and then was buried and rose again victorious over not only our sin but our death and hell and the enemy so that we might be brought if by faith we trust this into right relationship with God and so we find ourselves here on the on the cusp of something brand new Jesus had told his disciples, I'm going to go away. But if I go away, it's actually good for you because when I go, I will send another helper, another comforter, uh, your translation may say. I'm going to send another after me to be with you in a way similar to how I am with you, but in a way that's in fact going to be better. Have you ever heard the phrase, I can't be two places at one time? Mamas seem to say this all the time. How can I be two places at one time? I can't. There's only one of me. Well, while we recognize that Jesus is fully aware and present spiritually with us in all knowledge, knowing us physically, when he put on a body, he is now eternally enshrined in that glorified human flesh. And Jesus basically is saying, I can't be with you all like I can be with those of you who are within touching distance of me. But when I go, I will send one who can be with you as close, yes, closer than I am to you right now. And he will be with you all. And I'm sure that took those disciples a minute to try to figure out what it is he's talking about. How is this going to be possible? Acts chapter 2 tells us. Acts chapter 2 brings us into something brand new. Something that has never been true before in the history of mankind, in the redemptive process of God's plan. Something new is about to happen. But in order to get there, let's look back, if you will, one page back to Acts chapter number one, and we're going to read verses four, five, and eight. And here's what it says. And while staying with them, he ordered them, this is the disciples, and he's talking about Jesus, while Jesus was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Now Jesus is with them having been raised from the dead and now he is spending these days with his disciples and those who are his followers. Uh, An amount of time of about 40 days Jesus is with them and then he tells them, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere but wait for the promise of the Father which he said you heard from me which Jesus said you heard this promise I've given you this promise I told you what God was going to do and now I need you to hang in Jerusalem for as long as it takes for this promise to be fulfilled 
And he said, for John baptized with water, you remember that, John at the Jordan River was baptizing men and women in the, in the message of repentance. He was calling the, the people of Israel to repent because Messiah was coming, because the kingdom of God was at hand. And he was calling them to be sorry for their sins and have their hearts uh, prepared for what God was doing. John baptized with water, Jesus says, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So guys and gals, hang in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere because in the next few days, something spectacular is about to happen. This is the promise I gave you and God is about to bring it to pass. You're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then verse number eight, he says, but you will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I've got work for you to do, y'all. I'm gonna go away. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. He's gonna give you power and then you're going to reflect and represent me, not only here in the city, but in all the region of Judea and in Samaria area where they really don't want to see you and to the ends of the earth where you can't even imagine that you would have ever been. I'm going to use you. Stay put. Bible tells us that they did just that, returned and stayed put and prayed and contemplated and, and, and waited and wondered. Acts chapter two, verse number one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. I'm going to break these 13 verses down into just three movements. I'm going to talk about the day. I'm going to talk about the sights and the sounds. And I'm going to talk about the evidence. The day, the sights and sounds, the evidence. What day was this. They're waiting, and Luke says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. What is this day of Pentecost? Well, let me give you a little bit of an explanation, just a little bit of, a, of an insight in what he's talking about. Pentecost is actually a Greek word which means 50th. This Greek word that means 50th is taken and used for the Jewish festival of weeks, or in the Hebrew, Shavat. The festival of weeks. This is a festival that is connected back to the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, well not actually Genesis, but Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Four of the first five books which we call the law, which were the Hebrew top five, that's what they followed. We find this feast of weeks. Now, in the Hebrew, in the, in the, in the Jewish custom, and, and according to the Jewish law, there were seven feasts that needed to be celebrated by the Jewish people. And these feasts were not only reminders of the things God had done, but they were reminders of things God will do now and will do in the future. And so we might equate some of these feasts with our own holidays so that we might understand what they're taught, what they're, what they were going through. So we get together as families and we all do this around the time of Thanksgiving. It's a national holiday. We all 
get together and we eat turkey. Not too many days from then, we'll get together again and we'll celebrate Christmas. It's a holiday that we celebrate that's got a connection to events, the Christian story. And then not after that, too very long, we'll celebrate New Year's and we'll get together and celebrate that together. And we'll celebrate also Easter in the springtime of the year and Memorial Day and Labor Day and the 4th of July. So very similar to our holidays, God had instituted through Moses a set of feasts that they would get together and celebrate certain aspects of God's relationship to his people. This feast of weeks which we call Pentecost, came at the end of the first four feasts that were jammed right together uh, in, in one like long little celebration. Let me, let me give you this idea. So in the first month of the year, which for the Jewish people was the year Abib, but it correlates to our March, April. So they would celebrate the new year in the March, April months with the first feast required by God, which was called Passover. The Passover goes all the way back to God's taking his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, through the, through the plagues that was suffered there in Egypt, and then how he protected the Israelites through the last plague, which brought about death to the firstborn of the family, unless you had painted the blood of the lamb that you had sacrificed over your doorframe. If you had, then you were saved from that passing over of the death angel. And every year at this time, they were to celebrate on the 14th day of the first month the feast of Passover. Well, we just saw that Jesus has celebrated Passover with his disciples in that upper room. And then on that same night, he was betrayed. And that next morning, he was crucified. So this is the season of Passover that we're in. Well, following Passover on the 15th day, so we'll celebrate Passover on the 14th. But then on the 15th day, we will begin celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And for seven days, they would remember the holiness of God by eating only bread without yeast so as to remind them of the holiness required by God as the people are being led by him, they would celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. So the Passover on the 14th, from the 15th to the 21st, we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then on the 22nd of the first month, see, we got holiday. Wouldn't it be nice? Some of you have birthdays in and around Christmas, and you go, I don't like that because I get my presents get slashed. But wouldn't it be cool if we had a lot of holidays holidays together. I'm sure teachers would like that, or maybe you wouldn't. So you got Passover on the 14th, unleavened bread on the 15th to the 21st, and then on the 22nd of the first month, that began the grain harvest. And they were to celebrate the feast or the day of first fruits. All these are connected back in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The feast of first fruits was at the beginning of the grain harvest. And here's what they would do. They would start harvesting what they had planted 
And then they would all get together around the temple. They would make some sacrifices. And then the priest would take a handful of the grain that was still connected to the stalks. And they would tie it together in in a sheaf, if you will. A sheaf of grain that he could hold. And the priest in the celebration would hold that sheaf of grain up to the people. And he would wave it in front of God. In celebration of the first fruits of the harvest. And the people would also bring a measure of their harvest to offer to God as an offering. You're like, wait, so I know some of you wait like just buzzards on a gut wagon for payday, you know, and payday gets him. You're watching your bank account and you're like, is it there yet? Is it there yet? And then it's there. Well, it was like that with harvest time because they had gone through the dry and the rain are waiting. They've used up so much of their store and now the harvest is in and they're bringing the first fruits of what God has provided and offering it to him in signifying that they trust God to provide the rest of the harvest. You know, there might be a correlation there between our giving of the resources God has given us right off the top, but we won't go there. We'll save that for another day. They would celebrate the first fruits. So the the first of God's harvest would be waved in front of the people in honor of what God has provided. And then... 50 days following the Sabbath following Passover. So you got Passover, you've got Feast of Unleavened Bread, then first fruits, and, and then it's a little wonky how they calculate the 50 days, but 50, approximately 50 days following that would signify the end of harvesting. And they would celebrate again, giving thanks to God for what he has provided. And this was called the Feast of Weeks because it was seven weeks after Passover, the end of harvest, we bring another offering of what God has provided and we offer it to him in thanks. So you got four feasts right there. Well, let's just think about this for a minute. We've got... Passover. What happened in Passover? The lamb was sacrificed. Now, this is really cool. On the night that they celebrated Passover was at sundown on the on the night the Jewish calendar, the Jewish day started at sundown. So tomorrow for us would have to begin at like eight o'clock tonight and eight 30 tonight would begin the next day. We, we go by, by midnights and all that kind of stuff. But for the, the Jews, they would have started celebrating Passover at sundown. What did Jesus do? He celebrated Passover. He instituted the Lord's supper. And then what happened later that evening? He was betrayed He was taken by uh, the guards. He was uh, interrogated all night illegally uh, through the the high council of the Jewish leaders. And then he was taken to the Roman uh, leader. And he was taken to uh, Herod, the, the the underlord of the Romans. And then he was brought back. And that same day that was Passover, who was actually sacrificed? in your place and mine, 
but our Savior. So you see kind of how that, that Passover is like the precursor, like a, 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 a shadow, if you will, of the real Passover to come, the real lamb that was to come, to not only just provide escape from Egypt, but to provide forgiveness of sin and to, to, to remove us from that realm of darkness and death. So you've got Passover and Jesus. And, and then you've got the, the resurrection, which was happening right about the same time that the priest was coming with the first grain sheath. And as he's waving that first of the fruits of God's provision, who was coming forth? The first from the dead of, of which many will follow him by faith. Jesus, the first fruits. And then you've got this harvest celebration that's coming at Pentecost, celebrating what, is God, what God has done and what God has provided. So we've got these days happening. And the Bible says they were all together in one place, not just the 12, but most likely this, this band of about 120 were all together, waiting, wondering. What was the day? The day of Pentecost. The sights and the sounds. Things got a little out of the ordinary on this day. The Bible says in verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven... A sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. The sound of a mighty rushing wind. Any, has anybody ever lived through a tornado? Any, anybody's hand you say, I, I've lived through a tornado. I've not. I lived through a hurricane. Now, so last year was, was it last year? year before, last year was the hurricane. That's our first in 10 years. And, and I've put in an order to only have one every 10 years. So we're all good. Uh, we had one last year. We got 10 years to go, right? So we'll see how that works. <clears throat> I've heard though, when you're in a tornado, I have heard that it sounds like dozens of railroad engines. That the sound of the tornado, even if you're not being swept away like Dorothy and Toto, the sound of it is enough to just make you want to dig a hole and get in it think that's what Luke is trying to communicate. There came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It got their attention. And, and I don't think that it was these 120 that were the only ones who heard this. Some of you have been around Florida long enough to know that we have an Air Force base not too far from here. And sometimes those boys want to get maverick and do a flyby. And they go by supersonic and you just hear this boom. You're like, what in the world was that? Oh, it's just one of them really cool dudes flying really fast. We're not the only ones that heard it. It was most likely heard and got the attention of everyone there was the sound of the mighty wind and then a divided and divided verse three and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them now I am imagining that probably what happened is as this sound is rumbling and they're going oh my goodness then I imagine that this 
light, if you will, like a flame of fire came into the room. But the Bible is very specific when it said it divided and it came and hung over each one of them. Now, I'd be willing to bet you've probably heard stories in your lifetime that began like this. Brian, you're never going to believe this. You probably heard a story. Brian, you're never going to believe this. But one time, and then you know you start getting a little skeptical whenever you say you're never going to believe this because you're wondering, can I actually believe this? This is one of those stories. This is one of those things that has never happened before in this way. This sound, this rumbling, this light, and now these these flames, if you will. He says like fire. It could have been fire. It might have just looked like fire. Came and hovered over each one of them. You say, well, that's spectacular. What's that got to do with anything? If you study your Old Testament, you will discover that there are three elements that consistently reflect God's character. Wind, fire, and water. In this this instance, you see wind and fire. Now think about what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, how, how, does someone, how does someone have everlasting life? Jesus says, you've got to be born again. He's like, how in the world am I going to be born again? Jesus says, you're missing the point. You know how the wind blows where it wants? You know it's there, but you can't see where it's. It's the same way with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is connecting the spirit. In fact, even the, Old Test, uh, the, even the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek word for spirit is also the same word that can be used for breath and or wind. So that they heard the sound of this mighty rushing wind shouldn't surprise us at all. In fact, Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter number 37, you ought to read this when you get home today. Ezekiel sees a vision of a bunch of of dry, dusty bones on the hillside. And he knows that this is the bones of his people. And he's like, God, what are you trying to show me? And God says, I'm going to bring my people back to life from their dead state. And Ezekiel's like, I don't see how that's going to happen. And yet they began to take on flesh and they began to take on muscles. And then the wind blew and they breathed in. And what did God do also in the first chapters of the book of Genesis? But he breathed into the creation, the breath of life, man and woman. This idea of wind should not surprise us. Where do we see fire? Can I take you to uh, a crevice in the rocks, the Judean hillside, fellow by the name of Moses ran into a bush that was on fire and wouldn't burn up. And wouldn't you know it, who talked to him out of that bush but God himself? Who are you? 
I am that I am, he said. And then when the people came out of Egypt, how were they going to know where to go? Well, during the daytime, there was a pillar of cloud. And at night, what did they see as representative of God's presence? But a pillar of fire that not only gave them light, but protected them from those who might want to do them harm. What about Mount Sinai? When Moses went up to get the law and, and the people saw the top of the mountain just become engulfed in smoke and brilliant light like fire. What does Deuteronomy chapter number four and Hebrews chapter number 12 and third day, not too many years ago say, but our God is a what? Consuming fire. So it shouldn't surprise us that these disciples, these waiting on the coming of the Holy Spirit, were arrested by the sound of a wind and the presence of a fire, but it divided and hung over them. The Spirit came to indwell. What did Jesus say? Not too many days from now, you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. One writer, his name is uh, John Ritchie. He says, this event that we see is the inauguration of a new work of God's grace among the sons of men, such as had not been seen in ages that had gone before. God was doing something brand new. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come on one of God's servants for a particular purpose. A prophet, a king, a warrior, someone to speak on behalf of God. And they would, they would receive power from the Holy Spirit for a limited time. And then the Spirit would be taken away. Now God has promised to do something new. He sent the Holy Spirit to be in us for his work and this is that transitional moment where he comes for the very first time jesus promise from matthew 16 where he says on this rock i will build my church his brand new baby his body on this earth has been born the Spirit has come. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse number 13, it says, Paul says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. We understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be that act, that work of God by which the Holy Spirit factually and supernaturally unites us with the death and resurrection of Jesus if by faith we have trusted him as our Lord and Savior on the basis of his death and resurrection. We are baptized, we are plunged in to the work of Christ when we by faith trust him and are redeemed by him. But look what it says, verse number four. 
and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Those who had now received the Holy Spirit in a fantastic, supernatural, you're never going to believe this, but I was there, I saw it. Now these who have received the Holy Spirit were filled and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, we saw the day. It was the day of Pentecost, the feast day of Pentecost. We see the sights and the sound, the wind, the fire, the no denying God is doing something new, and now the evidence. How do we know that this is what it is? Well, I'm going to show you, God says. And they began to speak in other Tongues. Tongues in verse 4 and 11 is the word, it means, it's, it's the word glossa and it means language, but it has the idea of an unlearned language. Now, some of you have been around long enough to know that I don't have the greatest grasp on the English language. Now, when it comes to Southern, I can speak that like a PH duh, but I'm just saying when it comes to the Queen's English, you know, she wouldn't be all that excited about me. I've taken French in high school, and I've had Hebrew and Greek in seminary, and I assure you with 100% confidence that I remember very little about any of the three. The bottom line is I'm not fluent in any language other than Southern English. This idea that, that we see here is that these that were in that upper room now began to speak in languages they had never learned. I've never learned Spanish. I could not talk in Spanish if I had to. I mean, I literally couldn't. I know some of the words, but they're probably not even pronounced right that I know. These men and women began to speak in other tongues. And, and Luke gives us some context here to help us out. Well, what is this supposed to mean? He goes, I'll show you what it means. Verse number five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem... Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now, why were there devout men from every nation under heaven? Remember, Passover, first fru- uh, uh, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost. They were there for the holidays. They were there for the feasts, the celebration. They were there from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, what sound? I think it was first the mighty rushing wind. I think they all heard that. And what in the world's going on? And, and y'all know that New York, did New York get power back? I'm just wondering, did they get it? But they lost it last night and a bunch of folks last walked out to see if there was power outside. And I imagine they did the same thing that day. They heard this sound that shouldn't be happening and they went out to see what was happening. And now all of these disciples in the upper room, I believe are, are now starting to come outside where the people are and they're hearing some strange things these onlookers are. The sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one, who? From every nation under heaven, each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So there were people who had not learned a language speaking a language that was understood by people who did know that language. And we see that they're hearing, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How did they know they were Galileans? 
how do y'all know I'm from North Georgia? It's because I hear I've got an accent. I think y'all have an accent, but y'all say I do. Apparently, these Galileans had an accent, and I do remember a little bit of French, and I can say, come on, tally but you know who that sounds like? That sounds like a southern Frenchman. And I'm saying the right words, but it's got that drawl to it that's unmistakable. And the people are coming out going, hey, wait a minute. Aren't these Galileans? They, they, they ought not know any language. I heard a pastor preaching. He was from middle Georgia, and he lived right on the line of Alabama. And he said, you know, when I was growing up, uh, no offense to any of our Alabamians, but he says, uh, when, when I was growing up, the butt of every joke was an Alabama person. It was how you know if an Alabamian is da 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 Well, he says, that's kind of, it seems the way they thought about the Galileans. Like, well, Galileans don't go to school. They don't know how to learn. They can barely talk and function. How are we hearing these guys speak these things in our language? They were mind blown, if you will. This makes no sense. I'm amazed. I'm astonished. Are not they Galilean? How is it, verse number eight, we hear each of us in his own native, and then this word language is actually a more specific word for a dialect. In fact, it's a Greek word by which we get our word dialect. Because you know that there are certain languages that have different dialects. When we were in India, not everyone speaks the same Hindi. There are other dialects, and there are so there, the dialects can be so different from one another that you don't know, even though you're speaking the same technical language, you can't really understand. Kind of like folks from Georgia and Tennessee. We speak different dialects, don't hardly know one another. And they're going, not only are we hearing this in our life, I'm hearing it in my own dialect. Like it's making sense to me. This is not Latin, this is not Aramaic, and this is not Greek. This is other. What language will they tell you? Luke goes, because there was folks, there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, some belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. It would be like us going, there are French, German, Italians. There's some, some folks from Brazil. There's some folks from Spain. There's some folks from Russia and, and Uzbekistan and all them other stands. And they're from everywhere. And they're hearing it in their own language by Galileans who'd never been taught. Brian, I got a story to tell you. You're never going to believe this wind and sound and fire and on me and now I'm speaking. I've often wondered if the speaker of that language was hearing him or herself speak in that other tongue or if they were just speaking in their normal Aramaic and that the hearer, I just wonder what was that or were they, I'm talking and I'm saying and I'm thinking in Spanish. How does that happen? I don't know but I know this It had never happened this way before. And who was present in this audience? Luke tells us there were devout Jews from all over the place. Now, what was the one thing that a Jew needed in order to believe the truth of the statement? 
To say that God is going to send his Holy Spirit and he's going to indwell us. Okay. What then are you going to show me as a sign? Jesus from Nazareth came from uh, a place that they didn't expect Messiah to come. And he presented himself as Messiah. And they go, really? Messiah is supposed to come from, from Nazareth? Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. Aha. But Messiah is not supposed to come from Nazareth. How are we supposed to know that you're Messiah? Well, y'all sit down. Somebody bring me a sack lunch. Break and break and break and break and break. Why did Jesus walk up on a funeral procession where mama is burying her only son, put his hand on the casket and say, arise to show these that were wondering who he was. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, 2, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 22, Paul says, you see, Jews, they have to have a sign, and Greeks need to have wisdom. That's why when Paul was operating with the Jews, there were signs and wonders. When he was operating with the Greeks, he was always operating in logic and wisdom. Why did this happen? I, th I think it's plain and clear that God wanted everybody to know something new was happening. And what were they speaking in these languages? The mighty works of God. Verse number 12. And all were amazed and perplexed. And they were saying one of two things. Either they were saying, number one, what does this mean? There, there's something to this. How, how are we supposed to understand this? There's some, God's doing something. What are we supposed to do in response? There were some who said, what does this mean? But others, verse number 13, mocked and said, they're filled with new wine. These folks are just drunk. Now, I don't know about you, but the drunk folks I've been around have a hard time think, saying the things they want to say. More or less, saying it in a language they've never learned. You see, when someone's inebriated, they have a tendency to forget a whole lot of what they've learned and how to act and how to be. They're looking for some excuse to do what? Reject it. Now, this is, this is not for me. This is crazy. These folks are drunk. But some were wondering. It was evidence. It was God displaying it was, a, it was a, a sign of what God was doing. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means to give the Holy Spirit complete control of your life. Ephesians 5.18, Paul commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what will uh, come, as a, 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 come as a result? Uh, we'll address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We'll sing and make melody. We'll give thanks for everything to, the, to, the, uh, to God the Father in the name of Jesus. And we'll submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit, I submit my decisions. I submit my reactions. I submit how I'm going to make my decisions and, and what I'm going to do and how I'm going to respond, then he will fill me and he will lead me and direct me and his purpose for me will be accomplished. These folks were waiting in obedience. He's coming. Jesus said he was coming. And when he came, he filled them and they began to give evidence 
of the power that God had promised. The ability that was above and beyond their ability to do what? To proclaim the mighty works of God. And we're going to see next week, Peter's going to stand up and begin to preach the gospel on the basis of this son. Now, I know when we come to an issue like, like this in the scripture, you go, well, well, don't, doesn't this have a tie-in to, to other parts of Scripture that talk about this action of tongues? Now, aren't you going to deal with that? No, I've already preached 1 Corinthians. I'll refer you back to that sermon series. But I do want to say this. I do recognize that there are a lot of folks in our congregation that come from a host of different backgrounds. I can just tell you how we understand this to work. As far as tongues is concerned, it seems to me that Acts is very clear. These individuals spoke in languages not known to them, but known to someone from a region of the world who could hear that. That seems to me what Luke is saying. Now, when it comes to other parts of the scripture and dealing with tongues, how do we deal with that? Well, I've got 10 things I want to read to you. And I want you to hear these things. On issues like tongues and other debatable or non-essential issues. Number one, what God has revealed in his word is always true and always right. God meant what God said. So when it comes to what does it mean in other parts of the scripture, it means whatever God meant it to mean. Because he wrote it, he meant it, he meant it for our understanding, or to the best of our understanding, he's right and correct. Number two, God can and will do whatever God chooses, whenever God chooses. And he don't ask permission from me, and he don't even give me warning before he does whatever in the world he does. That's his prerogative. But number three is God will always act consistently with his own word. God can do whatever he wants and God will do whatever he wants, but I find no action of God that's contrary to his revealed word. So when it comes to tongues and how we understand it, what God says is what he means. God does what he wants, but he'll always do what's consistent with his word. Number four, brothers and sisters are to always act in love and grace when, while trying to understand and apply God's word, they might find themselves in disagreement. Now, I know that there are people in this congregation who have a a different understanding about different aspects of our theology statement. We've got eight essentials that we've got to be uh, connected on without reservation to be partners in this ministry. But apart from that, we've got a position and we're going to stick to that because that's how we feel like we understand God's word to teach. But if you have a differing opinion, we understand. And you know how we're supposed to act with one another? With love and grace with a desire to know truth and to be united. Number five, some in the church, not necessarily this church, but some in the church overemphasize the work of the Holy Spirit. And it gets over into excess. You might have been in a service or two. I know I've been in one, and it's a story that, Brian, you're not going to believe it, but I've been in a service where I would say, oh, okay, that was Okay. And then there are some in the church that underemphasize the work of the Holy Spirit. And while I would call that excessive, I would call this over here uh, suppression, where we just make the Holy Spirit just somebody who seals us and empowers us, but he'll never show us what that looks like. I think that's also a mistake. Number seven, on this and other non-essential issues, it's real hard to outrun your raisin. 
What I mean by that, I mean when you've been raised in a certain doctrine, a certain teaching, a certain understanding, it's real hard for you to look at the scripture and see anything other than that. So when it comes to tongues, we'll tell you what we believe. I believe this was a, a, an actual language, and I believe it was a sign, and I believe it was a sign for the Jews. And no, we don't at Oasis Church believe that that happens normally, and that it's something that God does in the body today, but it'll always be consistent with what he does. But God can do whatever he wants, and he doesn't have to ask us for permission. It'll be consistent, but we won't operate with grace. We want to be somebody who lets God's word speak, but it's hard to outrun your raising, and I recognize that. Number eight. No individual, no denomination, and no church has it all, has all the right answers theologically all the time. We don't have it all right. They don't have it all right. They don't have it all right. They don't have it all right. And I think God enjoys the fact that we are wrestling to understand if that is indeed our desire rather than holding guard and fighting anyone who disagrees. He wants us to wrestle. He wants us to submit, and he wants to be sovereign in our understanding number nine all experience when it comes to these debatable issues all experience and experiences must filter through scripture and not the other way around when someone comes to me and they say pastor kevin i want to talk to you about this issue because this is what my grandma did this is what happened to my grandma. I am not going to argue with somebody about what their grandma did because they are going to fight me to the death over grandma because she was the most saintliest woman that has ever walked the face of this earth. Bottom line is your experience and mine all have to filter through the scripture. And that's going to be our intent. And then lastly, not everything done or not everything avoided in the name of Jesus Christ has his approval. So what does all this mean about tongues for nowadays? It means we don't have all the answers, but God has all the answers. We're not going to fight over those answers. We're going we're to gracefully stand on what we believe God teaches, how we're to understand this, and we're going to let God be God, and we're going to filter all of our experiences through his word. Does that make sense? So... When the folks saw what they saw in this passage today, they said, what does this mean? How are we supposed to respond to this? I hope your desire today, having heard about this spectacular event that happened and then resulted in this evidence, my hope is that you're wondering well, what does that mean for us today? I hope that's the questions you're going to, okay, I get it. The Holy Spirit and, and, and empowering and then, and then showing and then using. How does that supposed to fit with me? I hope that's what you're asking. I've got three things I want you to hear. Number one, God will always be right on time. What do we see here? We see Jesus making a promise. We see him telling them to go and wait. Well, how long are we supposed to wait, Jesus? I ain't telling you how long you're supposed to wait. Well, what's it going to look like? You'll know. Well, oh, that, well Jesus, I mean, how am I, but what if I'm at the market? and wait? Look, just go wait. You'll know when he comes. And you know what? He did. Just like Jesus said. And, and in fact... If you flip to the left or to the right, you're going to discover instance after instance after instance after instance where God does exactly what he says right on time. 
Now, God seldom does what I want when I want him to. And when God does, it's often not what I wanted him to. But it's always right. And it's always right on time. Are we people who are willing to let God do what only God can do when God wants to do it, whenever God wants to do it? What does this mean? This means God doing something. He wants to do something in you. What does this mean? It means the Holy Spirit is the common denominator of all believers, of all the redeemed. You know, I grew up in a, in, in a tradition that did not often, the pastors in that tradition did not often break from our denominational uh, cloaking to fellowship with folks from other churches who get it wrong. You know what I find one of the most refreshing things of my life is that I got pastor buddy, and I mean they're pastor buddies. And they come from, I, I, got a, I got a great pastor buddy. He's from the Episcopal Church here in Winterhead. I got several pastor buddies from the Assembly of God, and they don't know what in the world to do with me. But we have a great time. I got several Church of God pastors that are my friend, Methodist friend. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. The common denominator it's not what we believe about these non-essential things. It's about who we are in Christ with the common denominator of the Holy Spirit resident within us. What does this mean? It means God's put us together with folks that don't look like us, folks that don't sound like us, folks that might do worship different than us, folks that might have a differing opinion. But at the end of the day, who is Jesus? He's God the Son, crucified, risen, Returning, received only by faith. Well, get in here, brother. Let's hug it out. Let's just don't fight about this other. What does this mean? It means that when we submit to the Holy Spirit's control, when we yield ourselves to whatever He wants, He will work in your life. You ready for this? He will work in your life in ways that will bewilder, amaze, and astonish the lost around us. That doesn't mean that God's going to cause you to be able to levitate or shoot lightning out of your hands or, or speak with other languages. I don't know. God can do whatever he wants to, but you know what he's going to do? If you'll yield to him with the Holy Spirit as your common denominator... God will use you in ways that will cause folks to wonder, what in the world happened to her? What in the world's going on? It just don't seem right. He didn't talk that way before. He won't, and she will. I don't understand this. What's the explanation? The work of the Holy Spirit in you as you let him, and it'll always be in ways that point to your Savior and mine. How cool would it be if we, just like they, who have received the Holy Spirit, maybe not in with the spectacular light and sound show that they got, but that's okay. They were the only ones that got it like that. 
All the rest of us have got it in the normal by grace through faith receiving him. What would it look like if all of a sudden we left from here today going, oh, okay. So if I let God, the Holy Spirit, use me in whatever ways he wants to, then my actions and the way he uses me will actually draw others to the one who's saved me. He will. He used them. He used you. The question is, is that what you want? want God to use you? Well, first you got to know him. You got to know him by faith. And that faith can only be in Jesus crucified and risen. If you know him, yield to him. And today would be a great day for us to, in some fashion, go, you know, Lord, I know that I'm a Christian. I know that you've saved me and I know that the Holy Spirit's been given to me. I just don't feel like my life has bewildered too many people toward your son. I just don't feel like my life is really astonishing anybody toward the one who saved me. God, I want, I want you to take control of me. And I want you to use me. Show me what doesn't correlate with you. Show me what needs to be added, what needs to be subtracted. And then, God, I want you to use me. And I want to bring glory to your son. And I want it to all be about him. What would it look like if that's what we all wanted today? hope that's what you want let's pray father we thank you for your love we thank you for your word we thank you for your son we thank you for the holy spirit who's been given to us to empower us yes to seal us yes to connect us to to you supernaturally and to one another as brothers and sisters we thank you for that reality god i pray that you'll help us to want the spirit to control us to be filled by him so that he's the one who decides how we respond he's the one who decides what we do where we go what we say God I pray that you'll use this body to reflect and represent your son with heads bowed and eyes closed nobody's looking around If you're here today and you never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You say, I know about Jesus. I know the story. I know the Christmas story. I know the Easter story. I I knew a lot about what you were talking about today. But deep, deep down in your heart, you go, "I'm, I'm just somebody who knows about Jesus. I've never trusted him. And I sure would like to know that peace. I mean, that connection to him that's real. Yep, it's by faith. It's right there where you're at. It would, it would sound a little something like, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I know I can't be good enough. But I believe that, that you made a way for me to be forgiven in the person of your son, Jesus. Put on flesh, he died in my place. I believe that he died on the cross for me to pay for my sin to do what I could not do. And I believe that you raised him from the dead to prove that you accepted his sacrifice. So God, I just just want to ask you to save me today. I believe. I want Jesus to be my Lord. That's you today. Romans tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.
I'd love to talk to you more about it. I'd love to know if God saved you today. What does this mean, Christian? It means you have the Holy Spirit. He wants to use you if you let him. So, God, we ask that you'll take your word, burn it onto our hearts and minds. Give us the courage to step into your promises. Give us the willingness to let you be in control. We love you and we thank you for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say it.